0: Over well, we're continuing in our series on the healthy church. We've talked a little bit about finishing God's work and coming to completion in our lives, and we've talked about building His church, and we've talked about defining what God's church looks like. Uh, today we want to talk about making room for change, living with change. Changes in so much a part of our lives. There's a wonderful story in the Bible that I, I really love. It's a great story. It tells the story of a family, a big family, 12 sons, that head off to another land and they're there for a long time, 400 years actually, and through a series of miracles they get delivered and by the time they actually, through those series of miracles, get delivered, they actually pass into the wilderness of Judea and by this time historians and theologians tell us there's somewhere between two and two and a half million people now. And so they pass into this new place, this new location, the wilderness. And while they're in wilderness, it's amazing how God actually looks after them. Every once in a while, they get a special meal of meat. I don't know if you get a favorite meat or not. All meats are my favorite. But they get a special meal of meat. But most of the time, they live on manna. And I love how God tells the story. They get manna every single day, except on the Sabbath, the day before. They get two portions of meal because it only lasts a day. It actually spoils. But after the day before the Sabbath, it actually lasts for two days so they can have this food. They don't have to work for it. They don't play for it. They don't pay for it. It's just there. It's there all the time. And I love how the Scripture says it, that there's enough manna for everybody regardless of how they eat. So if you're a finicky eater and a little eater, then there was enough for you. If you like buffets, there's enough for you. It's really how it's amazing. It's amazing enough for everybody. It's how it's designed. And so, not only that, but they have, they have clothes that never wear out. You never get a new Easter outfit. Well, they didn't have Easter yet, but they didn't have special occasions. Their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. For 40 years, amazing. And the Bible tells us some other miracles. They knew when to travel. They lived in tents, didn't have a permanent dwelling, didn't have a permanent house. For 40 years, they lived in tents, and God directed them from place to place. There was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. It was amazing, really amazing. I mean, it's phenomenal. Think about it now. For 40 years, you never have to work. Never have to worry about what you're wearing tomorrow. Never have to worry about a meal. Just some of you, that might even be a little bit of appeal. And after 40 years, God says, okay, it's time. I'm going to lead you back home. I'm going to take you home. Home's a wonderful world all by itself, wonderful word. And so they're heading back home, and all of a sudden, things are going to change. Well, first of all, there's people already living in the land where He's leading them, and they're not excited that they're coming home. So there's going to be a little conflict. And they're going to arrive, and they're not going to live in tents anymore. So now they have to have permanent structures. They have to have permanent buildings. Well, that takes work, folks. And more than that, there's not gonna be manna every day. There's not gonna be special deliverances of meat. Their shoes wear out, their clothes wear out. There's gonna be just a little bit of change. Just a little, think about it now. There's gonna be a little bit of change. In reality, change is common, it's constant. Have you noticed that? Not just in that special moment, but what doesn't change? Everything changes. Not only is it constant, but it's inevitable. You can't stop it. The truth of the matter is a lot of change happened. People aren't aware of this, but one of the great events that changed the world that we live in was when they put a man in the moon. The scientific work around that was so phenomenal that it's impacted all of society. It just did. And I'm not sure what you think of these people particularly, but they changed the world. Bill Gates changed the world by making technology available to all of us. And Steve Jobs changed the world by putting it in your hand. How many of you have a cell phone with you today? Exactly. That's what we're saying. And so there's just changes. It's just common for all of us. Life changes and work changes and church changes and politics change and families change. Now, some of the changes happened as a result of decisions that we make. How many of you are married? Well, for good or bad, you chose that. See, you made a choice. How many have children? Well, somebody made a choice there, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Although I must confess, we chose one and we're surprised by the other. I don't know (laughs) if that happened in your life or not. Uh, And then there's changes that happen from outside that we have no say in at all. We can't control so much of what happens in our lives. And if the truth is, even we change. I really hate this picture, actually, to be honest with you, because I'm at the far right on that picture already. I'm almost not at the… I have 60 or 70 canes, so when I need one, I'm ready but I don't like the idea of that at all. I thought, I thought you might enjoy this just a little bit. I thought you might enjoy some change pictures. So, um, well, that's Cameron, well done, Cameron, he, he was really cute, look at that, but he's changed a little. You, you're wondering who this is? <laughs> he's a twin, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesse is a twin. Oh, let me go back again. I think he's the one on the right, but I'm not really sure. Jesse's the twin. Well, <laughs> I don't know where that picture came from, but I find that I mean, I know how I got it from. I, I'm not sure why that's the picture he gave me, but that's um, that's John Mark. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? That's Natalie. Yes, exactly. Well, and there's Mel now. This is Mel now, and this is what he looked like when he was a baby. Actually, that's not true. He just… The truth is, he couldn't find any baby pictures. That was i I'm just… We're having a little fun. <laughs> and, of course, we know who this is because this is the only picture in black and white, so that does date it. So, there's got to be Bill, (laughs) right, exactly. That's our deaf pastor, John Northy. yeah. Oh, you can probably tell, he doesn't, he hasn't even changed that much. Other than the color of his hair, he looks remarkably like he did then. And of course, you know who this is, right? Isn't she cute? Oh my goodness, exactly. And maybe just one or two more. <laughs> this seemed like a very serious moment in her life. A little bit of change has taken place, but we're so glad for all of these people. And just so I'm not just making fun of, uh, of, of you know, Mel, <laughs> this is what I look like now. That's what I looked like when I was 40. And that's sort of what I looked like when I was born. We have no pictures either. We lost them all in a fire way back in 1959. Uh, Change happens. Uh, I, I, I love words, as you know, so I just thought I'd share a few quotes with you. I don't do that all the time, but I thought maybe we'd share a few. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it. It's not necessary to change. Survival is not mandatory. All changes, I love this quote, actually, I love this quote, I've quoted it often. All changes, even the most longed for, have their melancholy, for what we leave behind us as part of ourselves. We must die to one life before we can enter another. And that's exactly what, the, what the, the video from Pastor Michelle talked about today. She is so glad she's coming. She feels called to be with you. She's excited to come. But there's some melancholy. Today's the last year of seven and a half years. And for all of us, change does that. It introduces melancholy in spite of the excitement. And we're glad for the excitement. We are. Uh, when we're no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Change is inevitable except from a vending machine. <laughs> if you're in a bad situation, don't worry, it'll change. If you're in a good situation, don't worry, it'll change. When you're through changing, you're through. Just thought I'd pause for a moment there. Uh, this is not an offense to anybody, I hope, but I did re- read it, and I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting observation about change, so I thought I would share it with you. A stubbornness does have its helpful features. You always know what you're going to be thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> Just letting that sit for a minute. If nothing ever changed, there would be no butterflies. Well, the problem is there's four options when it comes to change, only four that I can think of. There may be more than that, but there's only four I can think of. The first one is we can resist. I don't like that, I'm not gonna be part of that. I'm gonna resist. The second is we can wait and see. Okay, I don't know, so I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna wait. Just gonna see how it turns out. Turns out, well, I'll be on board. If it turns out bad, I was never in favor in the first place. (laughs) We can embrace change. I'm ready. Let's try something new. This is my favorite, of course. We can lead change. Somebody's got to be in charge. It might as well be God, and under God, it might as well be us. I know, what a radical thought. What do we do with change? Hmm. Um, Even Pastor Michelle has changed. She's coming on July 4th. Here's what I believe, folks. I believe God took a young girl, became a young woman, a married woman, a leader, a pastor, and is preparing her all of this time to be your pastor. So she talked today about all the travels and the things she learned, the impact it had on her life. Well, all the impacts have had on her life have prepared her for you. So that when she comes, this is God's perfect timing for you and for her. And if I can say it, I believe God's prepared you for her. So that as you come together in the will of God and the purposes of God, change is happening. But if, he didn't, if God didn't want change, he'd have left it the way it was 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. But the world would have passed us by. So can I ask you one little favor? I'm so honored to be your interim, and I'm so glad she's coming. I'm not, unha- I'm not happy about leaving, but I'm a- unhappy to stay. I'm to be wrong. I'm so excited about her coming. There will be change. Can I tell you, it will not be the same. If it was supposed to be the same, God would have left it as it was. Will you do, Pastor Michelle and God, and you a favor? Will you just give us some time? Will you buy in? Love in, enter in, center in, work in, give in. Because when we do, we put ourselves in the place where change can happen for the good for God. Because God understands. It can be difficult for us. I think it was, I think it was Mark Twain of, Huc- of Huckleberry Finn fame and Tom Sawyer who said, the only person in all the world that likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper. John Maxwell's a guru of thinkers and leaders, and he said the only person who really likes change is the only person who likes it is the person leading it. Even leaders don't like change unless they're leading it. There's some truth to that. Change is difficult for us. Now, friends, we started with the story from the Old Testament. I, I, this is the only message they're going to share from the Old Testament. I think maybe one more, but I don't think so. Anyway, I believe we're not Old Testament people. That's the law. We're covenant people. We have a covenant with God called the New Testament. But there is a statement made in the middle of this change as this nation of Israel was moving from the wilderness after 40 years, the same leader for 40 years, they're moving into a new land under a new leader and God steps in and He makes a statement to them that I think is true of us today. I think it's true for for us today. And I'm not gonna focus particularly on what happened with the Old Testament In Israel, as much as I want to focus on what it means for us. Great statement. Here's what it says. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God, I pray today as we look at your word, as we look at the truth of this, that you would speak to us. Help us understand that change is inevitable. But with you, we can be part of it significantly. And it can be healthy for us. I ask that you would help us with this word in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I see in this text is God actually goes goes before us. Look what it says. The Lord himself goes before you. So here's why that's possible. God is a knowing God. He lives in the eternal now. There's no difference with God from last year or next year or 10 years from now or 400 years ago or 500 years from now, now he tarries. God knows everything all at once equally in full knowledge. It's beyond our comprehension to understand that because we don't. Our knowledge is limited, but the knowledge of God is not limited. And because God knows tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the year after that and the years after that, God could actually go before us because he sees and already knows what's going to happen. And God can prepare us for the circumstances. And He can prepare the circumstances for us. God lives because He lives eternal now. He knows what's best for us and He cares for us. I love what one author said. He put it this way. In every tomorrow there is God shaping, arranging, ordering, preventing, weighing the burden for tomorrow's strength and smoothing the pathway for tomorrow's feet. And God in His wonderful way wants to give us a sense of being led, not just living life as it comes, of being led, not just being sent. But folks, that's one of the great gifts of God is the presence of a God who knows it all. And he's in your life and he's in mine. And when we surrender to him and when we live in his word and we live in relationship with him and we live in worship and we live in prayer, then we have a sense that God is with us and going before us and we're not going alone. That's one of the great gifts God gives to us. We're not alone. He goes before us. It's actually impossible to live and not think about the future. It's impossible. Every one of us think about the future. How many of you made plans for your vacation this summer? Three of you. The rest of you just going to stay home? Well, even that's a plan. Anybody got a birthday coming up somewhere in your family the next two months? Got any plans around that? That's the future. How many are thinking already about what you're going to have for lunch? That's the future. See, all of us live in the future. Everybody does. You can't help. It's impossible to live and not think about the future. Here's what God is asking of us He asked it of Israel, He asked it of us. As followers, we are asked not to think about tomorrow without thinking about tomorrow's God. Hmm. He wants us to know that we can be divinely guided, He wants us to know that it is the God of provision and preparation. And, and just the truth of a going before God has some significant applications and implications. See, He's the God of new beginnings. That's part of His tomorrow. Who hasn't known a little bit of disappointment in our lives? Who of us haven't had a little, a few setbacks here and there? Which of us have not walked towards faith and walked away a little bit? Which of us have not known some pain because somebody else made a choice? Which of us have not known some pain because of the choices we have made? All of us live in a real world, and God comes along and He says, "'Listen, because I'm the God who goes before you, "'I want you to know that I haven't abandoned you. "'I am with you. I will always be with you. "'And because of that, I am the God of new beginnings.'" I love that in God, I have failed him, folks, I have failed him, and he gave me a fresh start I failed him, and he gave me a fresh start. He's done that for you. He's the God of the first chance, of the second chance, and hundreds of chances. If you were to travel with Israel in the wilderness, they were not always nice people. They always didn't do it well, and yet they still got led to the promised land because God is a God who goes before, and the God who goes before makes a way for us and a path for us, and one of those paths is there's new beginnings. If you've tried faith and failed, start Again. If you're in a moment of spiritual weakness, start again. If you're in a moment where you're a little discouraged, start again. If you're in a moment when life isn't good, go to God and say, God, I need a fresh start here because God is a God of new beginnings. And, And when we learn that, when we learn that's what God, it leads us to a place of acceptance that change is happening. And when we accept God in the middle of our lives, I love how this author put it, he said this, When we know that God is leading, it means we can face injustices or misunderstandings. It means we can forgive. It means we can say no to self and to personal pleasure for a higher cause. It means we can overcome temptation and sin. It means we can bear burdens or pain patiently. It means we can even face death victoriously because he goes before. Have you ever thought about that? Friends, we—if you know Him as your Savior, if you know Him as your Lord—we have a going before God. I love that. I love that. I don't know about you, but I need that. I sure want that. I really need that. I believe you do too. And then He comes along. He says something else. Not does He go before us, but He go, not only does He do that, but He goes with us. Look, look what it says. The Lord himself will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a scripture that says he's closer than a brother. There's another scripture that says he's as close as the mention of his name. It's one of the reasons why I love church, to be honest with you. It's one of those places where together we sense the presence of God and know the presence of God and know together that he is with us. Here's some truths about that. Uh, When you understand that he will never leave you, you can fix your minds on God. You can rest in God. You can know the peace of God. <laughs> you can trust His word, His love, His ability and His trustworthiness. You can know His presence. You can have confidence in Him. You can know His faithfulness and His strength. Every once in a while, I don't know why it happens to you. I know probably why it happens to me, but every once in a while I've got told those moments what I call the dark night of the soul. Where somehow God seems absent, and the heavens seem like brass, and I and I can't and I can't break through. And that's where sometimes the facts of faith are better than the feelings of faith, because this is either true or it isn't. And at those moments when I sense the absence of God, I realize that God hasn't moved at all. I've moved. I have moved. George Doucette, a member of parliament, tells this story of he and his wife driving out one day in an automobile. And his wife is sitting on the passenger side, and he's sitting on the driver's side. And she turns to him and they come up behind this car with a young couple sitting in the front seat. But you can already tell there's two people because they're so close. They're just so close. It's like one head only, and then there was a bit of movement. I realized there were two heads, and George's wife began (laughs) to wax eloquent. Oh, George, do you remember when we were dating? Do you remember when we drove the car like that? Do you remember remember we used to sit really close? She went on and on and on and on, and finally George couldn't take it anymore, and he looks over at her and says, well, sweetheart, I haven't moved. I'm still sitting exactly where I was before. And God says that to us. When the dark night of the soul comes, the God who goes before who promised to never leave us, says to us, "I haven't moved. I'm waiting for you. You can come any time. you can come all the time. You can come every moment, every time. I'm waiting for you to come. Hmm. The only will he never leave us, he'll never never forsake us, never. never. Listen, this is really important. Therefore, he will not fail you. We cannot exhaust his resources. We could never be in a position where he cannot help us. You can conquer in his name. The God who never sleeps or tires can be counted on. I love the story of a little dad was at camping with his family, and for some reason, he and his little girl, she was about five or six, decided to go for a walk. And on the walk, they came to this swinging bridge, and she was really scared. It was kind of swaying in the wind and over a bit of a chasm, and and she, his dad said, you know, you don't, you don't, it's okay, you don't have to be afraid. You could hold my hand. And she was so wise, she said, Daddy, I don't want to hold your hand. I want you to hold mine. He said, well, what's the difference? She said, oh, Daddy, there's a big difference. If I hold your hand, I might let go. If you hold my hand, you will never let go. That's the God that we serve. That's the God who's saying, I'm not going to forsake you. No matter if you feel it, it it's not true. If you believe it, it's a lie. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He actually promises you divine presence, the presence of God. He is able to fully engage with us, all of us at the same time. Now, if I'm being honest with you, there are some conversations I hate. I've asked Kathleen to help me here. She's going to come and help me. Welcome, Kathleen. Grab a mic. So, one of the conversations I, I don't like goes a bit like this. So, Kathleen, uh, how long have you been at, at, at Calvary on staff? have been in our fourth year. Wow. What's it been like? What's it been like? Well, I've only been here six months, but I absolutely love it. Yes, these are great people, aren't they? Yes, so tell me about the people. Well, here's what I've discovered about them. I discovered they love the Word and they love worship. They're amazing. I understand you're a mom. I am a mom. And how many kids do you have? I have three. And what's it like to be with your three? Three. And what's it like to be with them? I love being with my kids. They're amazing. i got kids. i got grandkids. Like, I was with my grandkids yesterday. We went for a walk. My six-year-old and my eight-year-old was hilarious. You know, when you walk with some people, it's like a, somebody like a walk. But in reality, it was like walking dogs. I walked 4 kilometers. I think they walked and ran 8. I have no idea. How did you enjoy that? Oh, it's just a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever talked to somebody and all they do is interrupt you the whole time? They just did because they don't care about your story. In fact, most conversations really all people in a conversation really are doing are waiting for you to finish so they can tell their story. And people sometimes do it to us. I, I have a friend of mine, a relative, actually. You can raise any subject and they can instantly make it about them. It's really hot today. I remember when I was 12. I wasn't asking about when you were 12. People do that all the time. Well, and there's another kind of conversation I'm not very fond of either. So, uh, Kathleen, uh, seriously, tell me about your experience here. Well, it's been a lovely adventure. It's a start of COVID, which <laughs> lasted a really long time, <laughs> and then I, we had to cancel Easter, which really stunk, and then Christmas, which really stunk, and then the government kept making more announcements, and then we had to change all over again. <laughs> every, one, every one of us have this thing called a territorial imperative. It's the space when somebody gets inside. If you don't know them, you're uncomfortable, right? All of us have that. Hers is about six feet. <laughs> That's good, because so is mine. <laughs> and I'm a hugging guy, but when you get too close, if I don't know you, I get really, I actually ran into this one. We, were t- we had this lady in our church who worked at our office. Hers was about 12 feet. and When she got a little feisty once in a while, I would just invade her space. I would just get real close, and she got get real nervous, and she could back off, and you could end any conversation that way. And a lady came in, and we were all laughing, and a lady in our church came in, and she said, what are you all laughing about? And rather than tell her, I thought I would show her, would you mind just standing real still? Okay. And I got real close to her like this, and I realized she didn't have one, and now I have no idea how to get out of it. I'm just, I'm so trapped. I didn't know what to do. Third kind of a conversation. You Ready? So tell me about your boys. My boys are the best boys in the entire world. They're five and seven and almost nine. And they're really awesome, Bill. (laughs) And you should love them. And they like soccer. And they like to hit me with uh, ball hockey balls and footballs. And I don't catch like I used to. (laughs) thank you (laughs) have you ever been in a conversation and all the time they're talking to you that you feel like they're paying attention to everybody else but you have you ever just kind of wanted to say to somebody if you don't want to talk to me just say so I'll leave thank you would you thank her here's the reality this is the God of presence he will never interrupt you He'll let you cry your heart out to him, and he'll listen, and he'll wait, and he'll be patient, and he'll never invade your space. He'll give you as much of him as you want. I have this little statement I've often made. You could have as much of God as you want. The problem is most of us already do. He'll never invade your space. He'll always wait for you to open the door. But when you open the door, he comes lovingly and kindly and runs in. And and, and when he's talking to you and when you're talking to him, he's not distracted by the 900 million other prayers being prayed at that time, or whatever the number is. He knows you and cares about you and loves you. I'm so glad that God is not like us. I'm so glad that God loves us and gives his life to us and goes with us. God not only goes before us, but God goes with us. Us and hear my heart for all the lonely and alone people. God is a God who is present for the needy and helpless people. There's a God who is near for all the wounded and broken people. There's a God who is close for all the rejoicing and hopeful people. There's a God who is worthy and for all the lost and uncertain people. There's a God who is waiting and welcoming because we have a God who goes with us, He's a gentleman. And he's waiting for you. He wants you. is that amazing? Wow. And then the third thing that's in this verse, for Israel, but I think for us, we get to go with God. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He actually, he actually says no fear. No fear or discouragement. Now, now fear keeps us from the best of God. Fear robs us of God's fullness. And there are two kinds of fear. There's fear fear from the outside. There's things over we have no control. I, I have no control over global warming. I don't have any control over the heat in this building. It just hasn't been changed in the spring, and somebody else has to do that, and we have to hire somebody to do that, and they have to come when they're available, but they've got tons of buildings they're having to change the heat for, and where's Mel when you need him? He, he's, on a well-earned vacation. We have no control over the war in Ukraine. None of us have any control over that. And sometimes those things that cause fear for us, issues like inflation and government decisions, and they all influence our lives. And sometimes uncertainty can become part of us. And then, and then there's fear from the inside. Which one of us have not had a few uncertain fears from time to time? I remember reading somewhere once, don't tell me that worry doesn't work because most of the things I worry about never happen. (laughs) Perhaps there's not one of us, one author said, whose hands have not sometimes hanged down and his knees been weary and his heart faint, not one who has not needed some peculiar manifestations of God for his support. Sometimes the fear has basis in reality. Sometimes it does not. A few years ago now, probably 15 years ago now, Sheila started having these bouts with fever and headaches. And her fever, we would take her temperature and hit 104, and we'd rush her to a some walk-in clinic. And by the time the doctor saw her, it was gone. It was over. And finally, we got one moment when we caught a doctor and he instantly sent her to the hospital. And she was in the hospital for 11 days, 10 nights. They never did find out what it was. They thought she had meningitis. They thought it was two or three other things, SARS. And I can't remember all the details now but it crippled her she was out of work for three months she wasn't able to function and I remember I finally get her in her home she couldn't stand in the shower she couldn't eat more than half a piece of toast without needing strength and support it just weakened her so much and you know I'm her husband and I'm busy and I'm going and I'm thinking I'm losing my wife fear and I'm a believer any of you ever been there I remember driving to see her the first or second day, I can't remember, some time had gone by anyway at the hospital, and as I'm driving in the car, I felt the whisper of God in my soul, and He whispered, this is not unto death, and from that moment, I knew she was going to be okay, no matter how long it took, but there was fear there, real fear for a real situation. Sometimes, sometimes we can have fear over a situation that's not real. I love poetry, and I won't quote many pieces to you today. But here's a little one I think is relevant. Uh, Yesterday, upon the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. I wish that man would go away. And sometimes fear can be like that. It's not even real, but it's real to the people experiencing it. It's not real, but it's real to them. It's real to them. There's some people who live in fear so strongly in our world that their world becomes small and wounded and painful. I love what this author said, and I hate it at the same time, really. Here's what he said. Many people are so afraid to die that they have never begun to live. Hmm. And then God comes along and says, no fear. No fear? (laughs) Pardon? And then he doesn't stop there. He says, well, not only no fear, but no discouragement. That discouragement robs us of peace. It takes away the harmony of our lives. It leaves us feeling helpless and empty and lonely and weak or trapped. Someone described it like this. They said it's like having an elephant in the room that nobody talks about. The problem is that sometimes discouragement can become so big that we can't get out of it on our own. And God's answer is not to pretend that it's disappeared or isn't there. His answer is a relationship with him, and he says this to us. If you really want to overcome fear, if you really want to overcome discouragement, there is an answer. You ready? It's so simple. Lean into God. And in another place in the Scripture, another place in the story of Israel, God talks to them about this thing called courage. Courage. And the way to overcome fear and the way to overcome discouragement is not just to know that God goes before you and not just to know that God goes with you, but to know that you can go with God and you can go with God in courage. Now listen, this is really important. Courage is not coming from self-confidence or bravery or some sense of injustice that makes us rally. It's not that. Courage comes out of a relationship and a dependency and an ongoing awareness that He is with us. And the heart of that is being weak in ourselves, strong in the Lord. And then we dismiss every fear and already begin the shout of victory. Do you know what it's really about? It's really about devotion. Hear my heart. I'm, d- I'm just an old guy. Hear my heart. So many of us believers rob ourselves of the best of God, of knowing that He goes before us, knowing that He goes with us, and knowing that we can go with Him by not being with Him. There's an invitation to us every single moment of every day of our lives. The minute we need to, we can reach out to God, we can cry out to Him, we can call out to Him, and when we do, He is there, and He doesn't interrupt, and He doesn't write us off, and He lets us come as we are, and He doesn't see other people when He's talking to us because He loves us, and He opens the door, and He says, will you please come? That's God's invitation to you today. If you're living in fear and discouragement and despair, anxiety, frustration, courage is not trying to solve it on your own. Courage might be admitting you can't do it on your own, but it is always this, it is leaning into Him and finding your God. It's a God who goes with you. Man, I, I, I need that. And When change comes, it doesn't matter. Because you see, living with change is the secret. Here it is. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I, I love how Corey Tenboom of Hiding Place Fame said it. There's a, a plan to discriminate and to destroy the whole Jewish nation. And that family cared for people. She knew what it was to face the penalty. And she made a statement that has impacted me from the first moment I heard it. I hope it will impact you. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Would you say that with me? Never be afraid to trust an unknown future. To a known God. Let's stand and say it one more time. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God goes before us, God goes with us, and we get to go with God. Wow.